Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 185. I am your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is this week's special guest co-host, Player One Podcast's very own CJ Chris Johnston. Well, thank you very much, Hoff, for having me on again. It's great to be on Power Pros. Yeah, always good to have you here. I believe that Pete has been taken into custody by the local Yeti authorities or something. And so CJ is filling in to help me talk about what is going on in the world of Nintendo. I will try to fill his shoes, but no guarantees. (laughs) Well, you can fill his shoes, but you can't fill his beard. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, that includes some game impressions, a little bit of news, and then this week's big topic, which is all about Luigi, the man in green. And speaking of Luigi, let us kick things off with some impressions of a major new release on Nintendo Switch, Luigi's Mansion 3. Obviously, this is the third installment of the Luigi's Mansion series that started on GameCube and then migrated to 3DS and now has arrived on Switch. But this time, there actually is no mansion, the game is set in a hotel, and it doesn't actually belong to Luigi. However, Luigi, Mario, Peach, and a group of Toads have been invited to this hotel, but guess what? It's actually haunted, and everybody ends up getting captured except for Luigi. He's lucky like that. Must be the green that he wears. It's for luck. (laughs) Must be. Must be his lucky charm. I'm made out of shamrocks or something. And uh, yes, fortunately for him, Professor E. Gadd has also been summoned to this mansion, and so Luigi just happens to acquire the latest model of the Poltergust, the G00, and so the ghost-catching hijinks ensue. And CJ, there are two things I noticed about this game right away that really stood out to me. One, it is very, very charming, and two, it is absolutely gorgeous. It really nails all the characters' personalities, and there are just lots of little details everywhere throughout the hotel. I love how Mario heads straight to the food table and just starts stuffing his face. And then you go up to his room later and it's full of empty pizza boxes. You notice he doesn't really hang out with Peach all that much. I'm pretty sure they broke up after Super Mario Odyssey. It could also be that he's uh, tired from lugging her luggage into the hotel. (laughs) You see uh, uh, next to the check-in desk, she has like a lot of pink suitcases next to like Mario's one red box yes yes although i thought that was why she brought along the toads was to (laughs) slave drive them and have them carry all that stuff around but i don't know maybe you're right it's possible anyway once the haunting begins that's when the real fun starts and you really get to see all this humor in the animations you know luigi is constantly looking worried and cautious except when he's looking really happy you know like playing with his polter pup or something or when something good actually happens to go his way but you know All these animations, you know, the antics of the hosts, the interactions with the NPCs, they're just overflowing with this adorable charm. You know, I especially love, like, Luigi high-fiving the toad after he saves him. And I'm also just, you know, overwhelmed by a lot of the humor and goofiness in there, like the virtual boo. (laughs) There's no Game Boy Horror this time. It is the virtual boo. And I'm really glad that Nintendo continues to acknowledge, you know, that part of their history when, you know, like 10 years ago or so, they basically pretended the virtual boy never happened. Yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of players who don't remember the virtual boy and don't get the whole red interface of everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, Nintendo has been putting it back in stuff. Like, you can acquire one in Animal Crossing, and you could get one in Badge Arcade. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is probably the biggest recognition 
of that system to date. So, yeah, I'm sure you're right. There are people who are like, what the heck is that thing? But uh, for us that have been around the block a few times, I definitely appreciate the joke. I also very much appreciate that there is still a dedicated button to call for Mario in the game. You know, at first, <laughs> I didn't think it was in there. And then I'm like, oh, it's mapped to the control pad. You push it and he's like, Mario, Mario, Mario. <laughs> it's great. That's right, but it's not just Mario who's captured this time. I wonder why they didn't do other characters as well. It's just Mario. Yeah, he doesn't care about them. <laughs> I figured. Yeah. I completely agree with you, though, about the animation and how everything's just in this game is so delightful. Yeah. And all of the details in all of the rooms of the hotel are just fantastic. And I, I don't know about you with how you play this, but for me, I go through every room and try to leave no stone or uh, couch cushion or uh, <laughs> bread basket or anything unturned. Yeah. I ruin these rooms. I just <laughs> yes. go through everything and try everything, mm-hmm. all of the uh, various powers of the poltergust. And uh, I'm really just enjoying even just going through the hotel, not necessarily even making progress, just exploring. Yeah, I would say that is a big part of the fun of the game is that pretty much everything is either interactive or destructible. And so you're just constantly sucking up cobwebs and garbage and boxes and, like you said, just everyday objects. And by using the poltergust, first you make this horrible mess and then you just suck it up and clean everything up. And to me, it was actually kind of therapeutic to just like destroy everything (laughs) and then make it sparkling totally clean. And so it like really gave me a sense of satisfaction of having like, you know, no stone left unturned as I went through room by room, kind of like what you were saying. Yeah, I completely agree. And unfortunately, I think everything sort of respawns and doesn't... It uh, does eventually, yeah. <laughs> doesn't leave it as clean as you left it. But it's just exceedingly fun to collect as much money as you can, even though mm-hmm. it's not uh, a major mechanic of the game to need to have a, a ton of money. But I just enjoy hearing coins and dollar bills go into the poltergust it's just yep, there's yep. something supremely satisfying about that yes definitely and i'm not sure if you've reached this part yet but later on i think it's when you get to like the seventh floor of the hotel or so you can come across this power saw you can sort of you know suck it up with the vacuum and then luigi just has like the poltergust with a saw on the end. it's basically a chainsaw and you can just like go around a few rooms just chainsawing apart everything in sight and that's just like totally therapeutic in a whole different way well i mean the idea of luigi with a power saw is kind of scary but it's still pretty fun that sounds amazing i am not to that part yet but uh, i am already looking forward to it all right excellent but yes in addition to vacuuming and destroying luigi can do other things and i think the most important of these is being able to slam stuff. You know, you can partially suck up a ghost and then, you know, once that button is ready, you can hit the A button and start slamming them back and forth into other enemies or into objects. And for me, that is one of the most satisfying moves in possibly the history of video games. Yeah, I agree. It's really great to have that sort of flexibility in combat Mm -hmm. in Luigi's Mansion, I guess. You know, we've had two games now where there was nothing quite like that. And it's nice that they have sort of added to your moveset when fighting ghosts. Yeah, but for me, it's just fun. I mean, whether you're fighting ghosts or, you know, you're not fighting ghosts, Mm. I just love doing it. You know, you can shoot out a plunger on certain objects 
And, you know, then you can just swing that around the room to smash it. And then it's incorporated into, like, puzzles in combat. So, you mm. know, there are enemies that have shields or whatever. And so you have to shoot a plunger on that. You pull away their shield, and only then do they become vulnerable. And, yeah, I just love this mechanic of being able to, you know, yank stuff off with that feeling of power and just, you know, slam it around, smash it, all that stuff. I just love that aspect of the game. Yeah, any sort of flat surface where I see, oh, a plunger could totally go there. I try it every yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Or if, you know, some items you can suck up, like pumpkins or uh, balloons or balls and things, and shoot them out. I always, you know, scan around the room to see, like, where do I think this could go? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sometimes I'm rewarded and sometimes not. Yeah, I just acquired a giant boxing glove. And I'm like, okay, what do I do with this? Who can I punch in the face with this big boxing glove yeah i'm looking forward to finding out <laughs> excellent but then even beyond that stuff there is the new edition of guiji who you know not to be confused with puiji that is a completely different character you don't want to mess with him he stinks <laughs> but you can call in guiji at any time to help out and he can go through bars and through spikes and do all these things luigi can't and I feel like it's a really great addition to the gameplay, and it's featured just enough to make him feel useful without bogging the game down and making it feel like, oh, you're relying on him way, way, way too much. Yeah, I completely agree. It doesn't feel tacked on. And I also like the flexibility of being able to, you know, switch to Guiji, place him in an area using the poltergust and then switch back to Luigi and do something mm -hmm. like you sort of can uh, team up for some of the puzzle solving. And I think that's what makes it feel more organic and not tacked on. It's because, yeah. you know, the Guiji stuff sort of feels like a natural fit for co-op play, but being able to do it in single player just feels natural and it's nice. It's used uh, just enough that uh, it's not annoying at all. It's really fun. Yeah, and I think that's what this game manages to do really well, is just balance all of these different aspects pretty much perfectly. I mean, I think that is the key to what makes Luigi's Mansion fun, this balance between puzzles and action and humor. And I would say this game nails it pretty much as best a game possibly can. You know, so far, when it comes to the puzzles, there's been enough to just make me think, you know, just a little bit, but not get too stumped for too long. You know, maybe there's some exceptions with a few of the optional gems, but so far, a lot of the puzzles are really clever, they're mostly fun, and you definitely, again, this word keeps coming back, makes you feel satisfied when you figure this stuff out. That's right, and you can always call EGAD if you're stuck, or use that sort of mystery light that uh, shines and usually the game will have some environmental hints that point you in the right direction for things. So no, it's true. I think it's a really, really well done game. And I wonder how long it was in development because it feels just so layered. Like they really must have spent a long time going through every single room and floor of this game and ironing everything out. It just oozes quality. It's great. Yeah, it feels really, really polished. And another aspect, that seems just as well managed is the environmental variety. You know, mm. the first couple of hours you're playing the game, it seems like, okay, this is just a normal hotel. I mean, as normal as a haunted hotel in the Mario universe can be. Mm -hmm. But, you know, then after that, suddenly it's like, oh, I'm on a random medieval themed level. And then it's like, oh, I'm in some crazy indoor garden. And now I'm in a filmmaking area. And, you know, they all have these different ideas and just slightly different twists on the formula to continually keep things interesting. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, nice extension on the Luigi's Mansion concept. You know, you go back and look at the first game, how it was just the one mansion, and then mm-hmm. uh, the second game mixed it up with more things. This being a hotel theme, it does feel more like a theme park almost, uh, <laughs> yeah. where you have all the themed rooms and everything, uh, themed floors, and it just works so well. Yeah, it's almost like someone just took every hotel in Las Vegas and mashed them all together or something. It's true. It's true. Now, I am probably only halfway through the game so far, but I am loving pretty much every aspect of the experience up until this point. However, the one thing I have not tried is multiplayer. Have you had a chance to try that out yet? And if so, what do you think? So I've tried co-op a little bit. Okay. And you ha- you do have to play a little bit into the game to unlock it. So you have to unlock Guiji first, which is about... 45 minutes to an hour in. Okay. And at that point, a second player can push in the right stick on the controller and join you as Guiji. And it works really well. But if the player that you have playing co-op isn't as experienced in games, uh, you know, early on, some of the puzzle solving is... And there's a boss fight in particular where Guiji needs to uh, do it themselves. Um, I was playing with my daughter, and she's you know almost eight years old, and <laughs> she did have a little bit of trouble with some of the combat and uh, buttons because she was watching me play through the tutorial in the initial levels, mm. and uh, she you know started up playing Guiji, and it took her a little bit to get the hang of things. But it does seem like it could be really fun, and I think. Uh, we are going to switch over to some of the other multiplayer modes to play together instead of playing the campaign just because the difficulty spike in the progression of the single player game probably is a little going to be a little bit too much for her. Okay. But you haven't tried any of the versus multiplayer stuff yet, huh? I have not. No, I've not gotten a chance to. Okay. Yeah, neither have I, but boy, it certainly seems very extensive. I know it seems like they have put in a lot of thought and effort into that. And, you know, if it's half as fun as the story mode is, then uh, yeah, that's just going to be icing on the cake, I would say. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. So far, it is very easy for me to give this game a very enthusiastic recommendation. Yeah, I think this might end up being my game of the year. <laughs> my favorite game of the year just because the production values are so good and luigi's mansion just as a series is is one of my absolute favorites i loved the gamecube game and was shocked and surprised when they announced the sequel back on the 3ds and to have a third game is just like it's one of my dreams coming true so <laughs> yeah all right yeah i'm not sure if i'm gonna say it's game of the year yet but it's certainly going to be a contender that's mm. definitely for sure mm-hmm All right, well, moving on, another game I've been playing on Switch is Disney Classic Games' Aladdin and the Lion King. This is a very extensive look back at two of the better licensed games of the 16-bit era, originally created by Virgin Interactive. Obviously, they are based on the Disney animated films of the same name, and the games themselves hold up reasonably well, I would say. You know, the animation in these you know, 2D side-scrolling platformers is still pretty darn spectacular, even by today's standards. Yeah, I remember at the time it was just like playing a cartoon, even just when the Aladdin title screen came up and the Sega logo. And you press start. Oh, yeah. Seeing the genie like fly across the screen. Yeah, exactly. It's just uh, it was like playing a cartoon back then, even though, of course, now it's pixel art. Maybe it was just the CRT and coaxial cable (laughs) interference that kind of made it look like a smooth cartoon. But uh, yeah, it looks surprisingly good considering how old these games are. Well, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, 
they were drawn frame by frame in a lot of cases by the actual Disney artists and then yeah. digitized into a game. And, you know, obviously they had memory restrictions and stuff like that. But, yeah, you know, they kind of went all out on these games. And so you know, I'm glad they aren't just lost to the mists of time. They are back. And it's something I never would have expected. But, uh, yeah, they are still fun and enjoyable and look good. And they still sound good, too. I mean, mm. the music is, you know, very solid 16-bit adaptations of all these award-winning songs from the films. And, you know, both the games are very good at taking you back through all the major set pieces and plot points of the movies as well. So, you know, despite the bad rap of a lot of licensed games of that time, and I mean of this time as well, you know, Mm. these are still very darn good games, I would say. Mm. Now, did you finish these games back in the day? Uh, I finished The Lion King back in the day. Hmm. That one I actually owned and played a lot of. Aladdin, I probably played through once, but I didn't actually own it. And so far in this collection, I've also, once again, played through The Lion King and haven't quite finished Aladdin. I may be 75% of the way through. And one thing I'm discovering so far is that some of the level design is not that great. That's probably the weakest part of these titles. Hmm. The stages, especially in Aladdin, tend to be very, very maze-like. And there's a lot of areas where you're sort of going through a wall and behind some scenery and, you know, it kind of feels like you're backtracking, but it really isn't. I mean, in general, there's only one way to go, but sometimes it's very hard to tell. Mm, right. And another little bit of a frustrating thing is that both games can be sort of cheap at times and often require some very extreme precision. Like, you know, when you're trying to grab onto a cliff or a handhold in The Lion King, you have to position Simba's paws you know, just about perfectly. Are you referring to, of course, the infamous second stage in The Lion King that everybody points to as being supremely difficult just because it needs those <laughs> sort of precision jumps? Yes, yes, that's definitely one of the tougher parts. Also, there's some really tough jumps in like the fifth level hmm. that always gave me a lot of problems. But, you know, with this collection, if you're having a hard time, there are definitely things to help out. You can just rewind the game if you want to do that. You can even go into the options screen, and I think you can like turn on invincibility or jump to different levels or all kinds of things like that that can make the game a lot more accessible no matter what type of gamer you are. Wow, you don't even need a game genie. It's perfect. <laughs> nope, no you don't. <laughs> Insert Aladdin joke here. Yes, game genie. <laughs> I made a perfect joke about the Lion King earlier, and you totally missed it. Oh, well. <laughs> Oops. But yeah, both games, I would say, are still plenty of fun. You know, I'm still probably more of a fan of The Lion King than I am Aladdin. I'm actually one of those people who actually prefer the Capcom Super NES version of Aladdin. But it's nice to have this version, you know, finally on a Nintendo console. I mean, there was always that Game Boy port back in the day. And actually, the Game Boy ports of both Aladdin and The Lion King are in this collection as well. But man, those are really framey and they do not hold up at all. Yeah, and I, I kind of wonder why the Super Nintendo version of Aladdin isn't on here. You know, I know it was developed and published by Capcom, and maybe that's all it is, but it... I'm sure it is. I mean, this is all Virgin Interactive stuff. Yeah. I think it's much easier to make a deal with just one company and put it on there. To be honest, I feel like the Capcom Aladdin would be out of place. And maybe if they do hmm. a collection with, you know, like Goof Troop and uh, Magical Quest star Mickey Mouse, they could put Aladdin on there or something. Like, I could see a Capcom super nes classics or something like that of all disney stuff but i feel like it would be strangely out of place here so i don't really mind okay anyway the more important thing perhaps than the gameplay of these titles is that there is so much stuff here beyond the games themselves 
Like, you don't just get one version of the game. You know, like I said, there's also the handheld versions on here, but like Aladdin has the original Genesis release. It has the Japanese version. It has a trade show demo version with like early levels and temporary art and things like that. And then also a final cut release, which I think is new for this release of the game. I'm not really sure. I don't really know what's different. Apparently it fixes some bugs and things, but hmm. I don't know the game well enough to be able to know all those details. And then for The Lion King, you get the SNES version, the Genesis version, the Japanese Super NES version. Oh, and then for both of them, you also get like uh, Super Game Boy colorized versions of the handheld games as well. Hmm. Again, those Game Boy ports are pretty terrible and only do like, you know, two frames per second or something. But if you add that all up, it's like 11 different versions of these games, which is pretty amazing. And I think like, you know, if they're doing this for something like these Disney classics, what if they were to do that with, you know, some other titles? What if, you know, Nintendo did this with classic Mario games or Capcom did this with classic Mega Man games or something? That could just be really, really fantastic. I mean, not that it isn't fantastic already here, but it just makes you think of the possibilities. Yeah, I'd love to see retro games get exactly this treatment going forward. I think Digital Eclipse does a great job with the emulation and with the rewind function. And yep. yeah, I think, you know, hopefully this is uh, the beginning of more collections like this. Yeah, they did the SNK collection as well. And that was pretty darn fantastic. They mm. also did the Street Fighter collection, That's right. which yeah. was probably even better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this game is also overflowing with options. You can do stuff like, you know, change the picture size and aspect ratio, add scan lines or a dot matrix grid. Like I said, you can cheat and activate uh, level selector invincibility. You can watch a video of a full playthrough to see how the game is supposed to be played and then actually jump in and start playing right at any point, which again, that was in the SNK classics, but it's pretty crazy that that's even possible. Hmm. And then there's also a museum mode with production artwork from the games and the films, a music player, and an assortment of videos, which is really, really cool in a lot of ways. There's even a whole gallery of cut concept material from Aladdin that didn't make it into the final game, and that's really fun to see. Wow. Hmm. Now, for The Lion King, all the videos are actually marketing materials that were made like 25 years ago, so there's not really a historical perspective. It's all marketing talk from 1994. Hmm. It's very superficial, and a lot of it is very cringeworthy. The most cringeworthy part of all is this half-hour presentation from Summer CES in 1994, where you hear a lot about the movie and the game from <sighs> Disney and Virgin executives, and there's a lot of awkward jokes, and some guy comes out dancing as Rafiki, but you don't see a second of gameplay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it is very insightful if you've ever wondered what it was like to be in the gaming biz or the gaming media back in the 1990s. You weren't doing that stuff professionally back in 94, right? Uh, yes, I was actually. And I probably, I think I was at the summer CES in 1994 because I started going to those in 91. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I was at this particular presentation, but I was uh, at the show somewhere. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, if you didn't get to go, now you can watch in video form and say, oh, wow, I really missed out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but anyway, for Aladdin, they actually have modern interviews conducted with the original developers. And so they're actually looking back at the game after more than 25 years. It's a full-blown retrospective behind-the-scenes documentary, pretty much. And it's really cool. It's very tastefully done. And, uh, you know, all in all, it just adds up to a really great historical look back at these surprisingly good licensed games. Awesome. I'm going to have to pick this up now. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, even if the two games themselves aren't absolute must-haves in other ways, this certainly sets a new high watermark for retro re-releases. Anyway, that takes care of our game impressions for this week, so let us move along to a little bit of news. First up in the news this week, in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, Terry Bogard, the newest challenger, is available right now. There was a 45-minute video presentation from Sakurai that was pretty much like this whole history lesson on Terry and the Neo Geo and Fatal Fury and King of Fighters. He was just dropping SNK lore bombs left and right. Did you watch the video, CJ? I did not watch it, no. But I'm sure a lot of the folks that play Smash Brothers have no idea who Terry Bogard is or uh, <laughs> yeah. the series of fighting games that SNK did at all. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why he was doing that. He even mentioned that in the video presentation. It's like, a lot of the younger players probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Mm. So, yes, he was definitely providing a history lesson. But, yeah, if you missed the presentation, well, there's not really any need to watch it now because Terry already has dropped. He has already landed. He came out, you know, very shortly after the video was shown. And yeah, as you would expect, he has lots of moves straight out of his original games, all of his regular attacks, smash attacks, throws, his specials, pretty much everything comes straight out of the classic Fatal Fury and King of Fighters games. Have you had a chance to download him and uh, check him out yet? I have not. I don't have the Fighters Pass or anything like that. Oh, man. I'm a very, very casual Smash Brothers player, honestly. But if they do end up including more fighting game characters uh, in this, yeah, I wonder if they'll tap anybody from Mortal Kombat and then uh, all of the sort of fan art from the mid to late 90s of <laughs> of Street Fighter versus Mortal Kombat could be, uh, you know, immortalized in Smash Brothers. <laughs> we'll see. It's possible. It seems yeah. like the way things are going, anything is possible in this series now. That's true. But uh, yeah, I mean, you are missing out on a lot of SNK goodness there. Mm. You know, all of his trademark moves are in there. And, uh, you know, strangely... They actually did some really unique things with this character. He's actually got two side specials. If you press forward and do a special, then you get the burning knuckle. If you hold back, you do Terry's crack shoot, his kick maneuver. His neutral special is his power wave, sort of that fireball on the ground. He's also got his rising tackle and his power dunk as his up and down specials. And you can also do the command inputs like they have for Ryu. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, lots of combos are in there. And he feels very much like his classic fighting game self. Hmm. As for his final smash, he has the triple geyser followed by his buster wolf. But he's also got desperation attacks if your HP gets down to like, you know, I think under 30% or maybe it's over 100% if you're not playing in HP mode, then you can do these, you know, high-powered attacks at any time. They're uh, high risk, high reward, but uh, yeah, it's cool to have all that stuff in there. That's amazing. And I also heard that there's something like 50 music tracks from various yes. SNK fighting games included in here. Yes. Amazing. Yeah, and that, I mean, <laughs> for like six bucks, that kind of makes it worth the price alone even if you don't have the fighters pass, even if you're not a huge fighting game enthusiast. But yes, it has just all this other SNK content. I mean, in addition to the character himself, you know, there's also the King of Fighters arena that's in there. And there's like 20 other SNK characters in the background. Hmm. You know, Andy Bogard, Joe Higashi, Geese Howard, Rock Howard, Kyo and Iori from King of Fighters, uh, Ralph and Clark, you know, who were originally from Akari Warriors. Hmm. So, you know, all those guys are in there. Then, like you said, all these music tracks, 17 of them are brand new remixes 
including interpretations for some of my personal favorite game musicians like Uadare and Yuzo Kashiro. And yeah, they cover everything from Fatal Fury and King of Fighters to Metal Slug and Psycho Soldier. So yeah, it is very, very extensive. Strangely, there's no King of Fighters 95, which is one of my favorite SNK soundtracks, so that's kind of weird. But uh, still, yeah, it's this huge love layer to SNK, and I love the ridiculous track names for some of these songs, like Pasta, Tuna, and Soy Sauce for Geese. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, I am not joking about that. (laughs) Every time they release a new fighter or announce uh, a new thing... I always wonder, like, what are they going to do after this game? Like, in five, ten years when the Switch is, you know, when we're on to the next generation of whatever Nintendo's doing, like, how do they bring this content forward? Because <laughs> they've completely outdone themselves now. The expectations for anything in the future would be impossible to meet. Yeah, I mean, Sakurai has claimed this stuff will probably never be possible again because of all the licensing deals going on and things like that. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know what they'll do. Hope they'll come up with something, but I'm certainly going to enjoy it while it lasts. Uh, I will give one word of warning, though. You know, I have enjoyed playing with Terry so far. He definitely feels more natural when you're just fighting like one character instead of like, you know, three or four or seven other characters becomes a lot trickier to do some of his moves. But man, when you do moves like the burning knuckle and the crack shoot, you know, Terry really puts his all into it. And it's really easy to accidentally throw yourself right off the edge of the stage. I did that multiple times while I was playing classic mode. I was able to recover every time, but man, the danger of doing that is definitely real. <laughs> Gotta be careful. Yeah, I really, really do. Anyway, on top of all that, there are also a few new Mi Fighter costumes. Nakaruru from Samurai Showdown. Ryo from Art of Fighting. And Yori from The King of Fighters are all in there as brand new costumes. And then Akira and Jackie from Virtua Fighter hmm. are back in as well. And I was kind of surprised. I thought they were already in the game because they were in Super Smash Brothers for Wii U and 3DS, and every time they bring back an old me costume that was from those games, I'm like, oh, this wasn't already in here? I am shocked. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, those are all out there now. They're available for 75 cents each. Amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of great SNK content now available in Super Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Super Smash Brothers, Nintendo has announced the release date for the last few Smash Brothers Amiibo. Amiibo! Dark Samus and Richter Belmont, the last of the default Smash roster. I mean, we already knew they were on the way, but they now have an official release date of January 17th. Yeah, and they look great, too. I'm definitely going to pick up the Dark Samus figure because even though I I said that I was a very casual Smash player, and that is very true, I still love picking up the Smash Amiibo for the game series that I like. So... (laughs) Makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely going to be getting them as well. I mean, it's kind of funny that you mentioned Dark Samus specifically because that's probably my least favorite character or maybe my least used character in Smash Brothers because mm. uh, it's not really a character that has much personality to me. Sure. But uh, even so, I will definitely be getting Dark Samus and Richter Belmont, even if they are, you know, Echo Fighter characters and, you know, very similar to some of the other fighters out there. But uh, yeah, it'll be great to have those in my collection. And once I do, it'll only be the DLC fighters that remain to be turned into amiibo form. So we're still waiting to get the Hero and Banjo and Joker and now Terry. 
But uh, yeah, everybody else has already been rendered in Amiibo form one mm-hmm. way or another. So yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah. Do you think they'll do the DLC characters in 2020? Probably. Probably. I can't imagine them going like a whole year with no additional Amiibo. So right, I'd like right. to think so. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cannot wait to catch them all. Absolutely. And moving on to another piece of Nintendo merchandise that would be great in any fan's collection. I also recently acquired the newly released Art of Super Mario Odyssey art book. Clocking in at 366 pages, this tome is something I've been waiting for pretty much ever since Super Mario Odyssey was released and Nintendo started sharing some of the game's concept art on social media. But yes, it got turned into a book. It came out in Japan about a year ago, and now it is finally here in North America. And the vast majority of this stuff is artwork that has never been printed or shown publicly anywhere else before. Almost Hmm. everything in this book is concept art, behind-the-scenes making of stuff, and it is extremely detailed. You know, every character, every enemy, every level, you know, even the designs used for logos and stuff, it is all in here. And, like, I haven't read through that much, you know, page by page. I I flipped through the entire book just to see how much stuff was in there, and oh my gosh, it's so impressive. Hmm. But... You're just reading the early pages and hearing all this stuff about Mario's redesign. Like You play the game, it's like you don't even think about Mario's redesign. It looks pretty much like Mario with a new hat. Mm. But yeah, just going into the details about all these little things they did, the texture of his clothes, you know, the way that you know his pants are hemmed and stuff like that. It is just very, very in-depth and detailed. That's amazing. I think I probably will at least put this book on my Christmas list, but I'd love to see Nintendo do some you know, documentary style things with uh, the behind the scenes stuff, because these books with concept art are great, but I'd also love to see like a development diary on uh, some of these larger games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that really does seem like a missed opportunity. I'd love for them to include stuff like that in collector's editions of some of these games. Mm. But uh, for now, we'll just have to do with these books. And uh, like I said, they do a very, very good job. I mean, you know, everything is in here from, you know, Bowser's wedding outfit to, uh, you know, page after page detailing the various kingdoms you go to. I don't think, like, the very last super tough bonus level gets much coverage in this Hmm. book. But other than that, you know, it is pretty much the entire game covered throughout these pages. Uh, Also, in addition to all the concept art, there are all the official illustrations, and there aren't really that many of those, but there are some really cool 2D illustrations that I've personally never seen before. Hmm. Awesome. Uh, One thing to note is that there is no special interview section like there is in a lot of these books, but there is plenty of developer commentary sprinkled throughout, and there is also a special section detailing the origins of just about every alternate Mario outfit that is in the game. Excellent. So, yeah, this is definitely worth the wait. It is everything I wanted, and it is totally worth your money and worth adding to your collection, I would say. That sounds awesome. It definitely is. And that does it for our news for this week. So why don't we take a little intermission, and then when we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, which is all about Luigi.
All right, we are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is all about Luigi. Luigi has been a Nintendo mainstay since 1983, that's 36 years. And as our discussion of Luigi's Mansion 3 proves, he is more than worthy of being a top-tier Nintendo character. Yet, despite that, Luigi always seems to take a back seat to Nintendo's other heroes. You know, to a lot of people, Luigi is just player two. He is <laughs> yes. just the sidekick. He is just green Mario. He is the Roddy Dangerfield of the Nintendo universe. He doesn't get no respect. <laughs> I know that's how I felt about Luigi when I played Super Mario Brothers with my brother. And uh, I was player two and I did not like being Luigi. I'm sorry to oh, say. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, I mean, in some ways it is understandable. You know, when he debuted in Mario Brothers, he literally was Mario with the green turtle color palette. That's you know all they could do due to memory restrictions mm-hmm. at the time. It was like, okay, it's the same character. Let's make him the same color as a turtle. There you go. It literally was green Mario back then yep. when he first debuted all those years ago in Mario Bros. <laughs> but... I mean, I don't know. Hopefully your impressions of him have evolved since then, CJ, because personally, I love him. As a character, in a lot of ways, I might actually like him better than Mario. Yeah, I agree with that, Uh, especially when the first Luigi's Mansion debuted, where, you know, Mario was nowhere to be found. Of course, (laughs) he had been kidnapped, Mm -hmm. but... The idea that you were playing only as Luigi as the main character was such an out there thing. Like, here's the Mario series, and you always thought of it as, you know, Mario's games. But as Nintendo started to flesh out the other characters more, I think they've really come into their own, especially Luigi with Luigi's Mansion Uh and, you know, uh, his animation, how much of a scaredy cat (laughs) he is in uh, the first game. Yeah, I I also really love Luigi now, (laughs) but uh, it is, you know, taken almost 30 years for me to turn around on that. Yeah, certainly his antics in the Luigi's Mansion series are a big part of that appeal. But for me, I think what it comes down to is that Mario is always shown to be the superstar. He's sort Mm -hmm. of infallible. He can do anything. He's kind of untouchable, and you know that no matter what, he's going to be this unfailing hero. In Super Mario Land 2, we learn that Mario actually has his own freaking mansion and apparently an entire little country called Mario Land. You know, does Luigi have his own country? No, but apparently Mario does. Mario's just, you know, kicking back, raking in all these coins. You know, he's probably rewarded left and right by the princess. She's always baking him cakes and stuff. And, you know, Luigi, despite being just as skilled as Mario, you know, he is kind of portrayed as the ultimate underdog. You know, mm. he's always taking a back seat. He's constantly the butt of jokes. Uh, bad guys keep ignoring him. Some people forget his name. They're like, oh, who's the green mustache guy over there? You know, Mario is frequently treated by the other characters as a celebrity. You know, they take him to parties. He has his own kingdom. He gets baked cakes. Luigi, you know, he seems a lot more down to earth and humble and 
while Mario has gone beyond sort of being this working class hero that he was originally at the beginning, Luigi's kind of still that way. Mm. And he doesn't necessarily want to be a hero. He'd kind of rather nap all day or, you know, read a book, as we saw at the beginning of Luigi's Mansion 3. And he is scared and nervous. But despite that, he always answers the call, even though he's intimidated and, you know, doesn't really want to be the hero, but he does it either on his own or in support of his bro. And so because of all that, and, you know, maybe I'm reading, you know, too much into things, but I feel like it just makes him a more relatable hero than Mario. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think uh, if you think about Mario as a character and whether or not this has come up on a, a couple of message boards that I've seen. Like, what if Luigi's Mansion, in, instead, it was Mario's Mansion? And I don't think it works as well as with Mario as the main character for this because part of the joy of playing the game is that sort of Luigi being frightened yeah. <laughs> and uh, sheepish about going through doors. Like, that's what makes the game fun. <laughs> and if it was just Mario, like you, you said, you know, like he's the superstar, he's very uh, confident and you know would not would not be as fun to play i think yeah i think i would definitely agree with you there although you know it's interesting you know luigi has had a very interesting up and down history and originally he was on equal footing with mario mm. you know in the first mario brothers you know that's what it is it's mario brothers it's mario and luigi it's a two-player co-op game in super mario brothers it was pretty much equal footing as well I mean, like you said, Luigi was player two, but still he could go and rescue the princess on his own if uh, that's what you wanted to do. But then things got really interesting with Super Mario Brothers 2. Mm. He was a very different character in both the U.S. and the Japanese versions of the game. That's right. He was a little bit slower to run, and he could jump higher, though, and sort of move his feet to gain height and i did end up using luigi quite a bit in super mario brothers 2 yeah yeah so did i because of that jump because of that high jump well that's kind of the ironic thing about him right is that that's sort of mario's signature thing is that mario can jump you know he was called jump man originally and there are some games where the npcs are like okay mario let's see that jump yeah you jump yeah that's your thing but luigi is actually the better jumper you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, he's kind of secretly stealing all of Mario's thunder. And yeah, so because of that, he was a really great character in the U.S. version of Super Mario Brothers 2. Mm. And also in the Japanese version, you know, he did have a better jump as well. But he also would slide around and he was hard to control. And so it wasn't really that fun. But in the U.S. game, I think he really, really shines by having the best jumping ability. And like you said, you know, he yeah. is a little slower and, you know, Maybe a little harder to control, but not that much. But he could certainly do things that Mario couldn't. And you know, I think he was like the only character that could get to that warp pipe to take you from 5-3 to World 7, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. Yeah, and, and some of the jumps early on, Luigi could do in one jump where Mario or any of the other characters had, he had to time two jumps. So, yeah, it was... Yeah, uh, I mean, he could like bypass whole sections of the game if you really wanted to using him. Yeah, yeah. But yes, also that was the first game that gave him, I think, I could be wrong about this, but I think it was the first game that gave him his own unique sprite for the first time and established him as the taller and leaner of the bros. That's right. You know, after that, things kind of went back to the status quo in Super Mario Brothers 3 and in Super Mario World. He was pretty much back on equal footing with Mario, but still, sometimes he would get left out. You know, he was nowhere to be seen in Dr. Mario. He ended up being sort of the damsel in distress in Yoshi's Island. Hmm. 
and they totally got left out in Super Mario RPG. I mean, Bowser and Peach got to join Mario's party, but Luigi, eh, he was just sort of, you know, left behind, kicked to the curb. <laughs> That's right. However, it was around that time that Luigi finally did indeed get his chance to shine in the legendary classic, his first solo adventure. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Mario is missing. <laughs> of course. Who could forget the classic? <laughs> That's right. Despite the fact that Luigi was the star of the game, Mario still got top billing in the title. Can you believe it? Of course. Yes. I mean, <laughs> you have to sell it to Mario fans, right? Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. So, yeah, Luigi finally got his own game, but he doesn't even get to be in the title. And, of course, the game was totally forgettable. It was an educational game that was... Sort of like Super Mario mixed with Carmen Sandiego, but ended up being, you know, like way less cool than that sounds. Mm -hmm. Still, I mean, I guess it was kind of a step forward. But then after that, things ended up getting kind of worse for him as the years went on. You know, during the N64 era, he was pretty much left out of Super Mario 64. Yep. You know, there's no bros in that title. Nope. No need for that. Nope, he was left out again in Paper Mario. And, you know, sure, he continued to appear in the Mario Kart games and various sports games, but he really was not getting the co-star billing that he once had. Hmm. And, uh, you know, he was just one of like a dozen or so characters. You know, he wasn't even a default character in the original Super Smash Brothers, despite the word bros being in the title of that game. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, he had some rough times there in the 90s. However, then, you know, as you were alluding to earlier, things did finally begin to turn around with the launch of the GameCube and Luigi's Mansion. You know, Luigi did finally come into his own. He got his own game. And, uh, you know, Luigi's Mansion was right there as one of the premier titles for that Nintendo system. That's right. But even then, people expected Mario 64 levels <laughs> yes, <laughs> of greatness yes, and were disappointed did. when it was not, even though I personally loved Luigi's Mansion as... You know, I guess my expectations were that it was just going to be a really fun video game. Other people had, you know, been hyped up by the fact that Super Mario 64 was so groundbreaking mm -hmm. and they were looking for yep. another groundbreaking Mario game to usher in the GameCube. Yep, you are totally right there. People were expecting, you know, another Mario launch. I mean, there usually is a Mario launch title yep. at the launch of every system. So it's kind of to be expected, but you know, this was not a Mario game. This was a Luigi game. It was something totally different. And you know, I feel like it was fairly well received, but no, you are completely right. The people were still complaining, oh, it's not a Mario game. It's not Mario 64, blah, blah, blah. No, it was, you know, the Mario universe mixed with Ghostbusters. Right. And it was different and funny. And like we were saying earlier, this great mix of action and puzzles and humor, but you know, it's not what a lot of players wanted, it seemed. Yep. I guess I can't blame them, but they missed out on a great game. <laughs> yeah. You know, like they say, it's not easy being green. It's true. Anyway, despite that, Luigi's comeback did continue even beyond that. You know, another big title for him was Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, which hit the Game Boy Advance in 2003. Mm -hmm. And, you know, finally, you know, he's right back there. He's in the title. He's almost on equal footing with his brother again. But on the downside, this also allowed him to sort of become the butt of jokes. This is where a lot of that stuff began, really. You know, Mario got to be the straight man, but Luigi had to do all the pratfalls. If someone had to cower in fear or be dropped on their head or get run over by a boulder or whatever, it was usually Luigi who had to do that stuff. <laughs> of course. 
yeah, this is very much the series where the characters started to be like, oh, whatever, it's Mario and Mr. Nobody, the green guy. <laughs> but I think that works well. I think that works well. I wouldn't really want it any other way. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think it goes back to the underdog persona where I don't really think that Luigi minds. You know, he's cool just being there to help his brother out, uh, you know, give a brother a hand, you might say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, those games have been pretty great. And as the series has continued throughout the years, there have been lots of really great Luigi moments, not the least of which are in the fourth installment, Dream Team, which I talked about on the show just a couple weeks ago. You know, that's the one that features dreamy Luigi and a giant Luigi and these little Luigi minions that appear in the dream world to help Mario out. And, yeah, it's just like, you know, Luigi Overload. It's uh, very, very fun. I mean, all the games are very fun, but it's always fun seeing you know, superpowered Luigi doing these crazy things in those games. Absolutely. Out of the Mario Luigi games, do you have a personal favorite? You know, I don't because I've mostly not played them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I usually stick to uh, the platformers and kind of skipped over that whole uh, series. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I can kind of understand what you're saying because I very rarely have finished them. The only one I've actually seen through to completion was the second one, Mario and Luigi Partners in Time, Hmm. because I had to write the strategy guide for that. Most people consider it to be the weakest entry in the series, but I have played all the other ones fairly extensively, and they are all pretty darn good. So if you ever get a chance, go play them. Especially those 3DS remakes that came out fairly recently, that would be Hmm. a great way to get reintroduced to the series if you haven't played it yet. Okay. Um, anyway, aside from that, you know, that's not the only Mario RPG series out there, of course. There is also the Paper Mario games. And unfortunately, in this one, Luigi did not get to team up with Mario in his party. But nonetheless, he had some very entertaining roles. In Paper Mario, The Thousand Year Door, he apparently goes on his own adventure, sort of behind the scenes, and he has this very verbose explanation of this whole crazy story about him helping the Waffle Kingdom and rescuing Princess Eclair from the evil Chestnut King. Personally, that is a game I would love to play. I know. As you were just mentioning that, I was like, I I would love to play that. Why didn't they make I know, that game? That would be awesome. <laughs> yep. So that would be fantastic. And then also in Super Paper Mario, Luigi was cast as a bad guy under the very sneaky name of Mr. L. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, he was actually a recurring villain throughout that game under the bad guy's control, naturally. Mm. And uh, as you'd expect, though, it is very, very entertaining. Awesome. (laughs) But still, even with all that, it really didn't seem like Luigi got the proper respect until 2013, which, of course, Nintendo actually proclaimed to be the year of Luigi. Yeah, I was very happy about that whole year full of games. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there was a lot of Luigi content there, that being his 30th anniversary and all. But yeah, that was the year that we got Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, which is a pretty solid and long overdue sequel. Absolutely. Did you play that one as well? I immediately purchased that and played through it. I was so happy when that got announced on a Nintendo Direct. You have no idea. (laughs) It was one of those moments where I just kind of got up from my desk and could not believe what had just happened. It's great news. Yes, yes, it was. Introduced all those other themed mansions you could go out and explore and you know, it sort of 
took that same idea of those mansions and have sort of incorporated that into the hotel with the different mm. floors in Luigi's Mansion 3. I think uh, you know, Luigi's Mansion 3 really capitalizes on some of those ideas that were originating in Dark Moon. But uh, yeah, that was an excellent game in its own right, that's for sure. Yep. We also got games such as Dr. Luigi that year, which was basically Dr. Mario. As I mentioned, he wasn't in Dr. Mario, but he got his own game, pretty much the same thing. But uh, yeah, Luigi finally got his medical license and uh, got to be the star of his own puzzle game. So that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then certainly, not least of all, that was the year that Nintendo released new Super Luigi U, which was basically a remixed version of new Super Mario Brothers U. Yeah, and more difficult, too, than uh, <laughs> New Super Mario Brothers U. Yes. I really, really enjoyed Super Luigi U, you know, coming out after SMBU. Like, um, I felt like it was the perfect platforming game when it came out. It was just a nice sort of dessert on top of Mario U, being that in most of the levels you had to speed run through. Oh, yeah. And they had a real technique to when you jumped on enemies. And I just really loved the whole aesthetic of the game. And yeah, I was so happy that they did that as a sort of downloadable extra and then ended up packing it in with the game and then, of course, doing the uh, deluxe version for the Switch, uh, having that available as well. Yeah, that's right. Although I also picked up the physical version on Wii U myself. I had to get that nifty green box, you know. Oh, yeah. I missed out on that because I'm all digital and I've been all digital since the 3DS. So, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I just downloaded it. Yeah, I'm all physical myself. So had to go for that green box. Nice. Um, yeah, for me, I mean, it was probably a little more challenging than I'd have liked. It kind of reminded me of going back to that original Famicom Super Mario Brothers 2, where, you know, playing as Luigi, it was a little bit harder to control. You really had to tough it out to do that stuff. But yeah, nonetheless, it was still a great game and still a great thing to have out there. And uh, yes, it definitely uh, was tough but also very rewarding for getting past all those tough obstacles, tough enemies, uh, that short timer on most of the levels. Yeah, it was really cool that uh, they put that out there, like you were saying. Yeah, and if you've not played it, you should definitely go back because I think Mario U and Luigi U are some of the best 2D Mario platformers that Nintendo has ever made. Yeah, and like you were saying, it's now available on Switch, so there's really no excuse not to. That's right. Um, however, you know, despite having that whole Year of Luigi thing going on, I'm not sure that even compared to what happened to him the following year <laughs> in 2014 you know, i think that was really where luigi kind of shattered that glass ceiling and that was due to mario kart 8 you know what i mean right oh well of course the look yes <laughs> the luigi death stare <laughs> became a meme and uh, yes even today i see that sometimes remixed with other things it's great yeah, people just could not get enough of Luigi staring down his rivals when they drove past. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it just became something that you would see everywhere. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it may very well have been the single biggest moment of Luigi's stardom. <laughs> I think you might be right. <laughs> hmm. However, you know, I would say that maybe now he finally has a chance to surpass this with Luigi's Mansion 3. You know, that might be, you know, the greatest thing that, uh, you know, he has done, you know, sort of on his own, so to speak. It may have surpassed all his previous attempts at solo stardom. And perhaps, perhaps with this game, he may finally get the recognition he deserves, cowardice and all. 
I think you're right. And now I think that means that Waluigi is the underdog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Waluigi is definitely an underdog as well. He's the underdog of underdogs. Mm. But uh, yes, if uh, Luigi does finally you know, achieve that next level, you know, becoming a, a Nintendo A-lister, I think he has certainly deserved it. Absolutely. Nice next level uh, pun there. Next level being the developers <laughs> of Luigi's Mansion 2 and 3. Ah, yes, I totally planned that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, before we wrap this up, do you have any other Luigi moments of note you would like to discuss? I don't. <laughs> After careful consideration, no. <laughs> well, I have one more thing that I would like to call out. One very interesting point in Luigi's history, and that is that, you know, despite Luigi playing second fiddle for most of the last 36 years, one noteworthy exception to that was the horrible Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh. You know, that's where Luigi is the younger, more handsome, more energetic of the Mario Brothers, and Mario's like this grumpy angry guy (laughs) right i would personally say that is the best thing about that movie you know luigi (laughs) gets to be a hero right there on par with mario and he's actually the one that gets the girl yeah i wonder how john leguizamo feels about all this (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm sure he is still a luigi fan i mean there was a lot of stuff that that movie gets horribly wrong but the one thing it very much does right is really emphasizing the bros in the title. It really puts Luigi right up there being a hero with his brother. That and, is true. Uh, that's pretty cool. That is true. Yes. Anyway, I think that does it for our look back at Luigi. Brother, underdog, hero. He may not ever truly get out of his brother's shadow. But uh, I think we all know that Mario never would have quite achieved the level of success that he has without him. I totally agree. And Charles Martinet being both of them, (laughs) I I wonder how he feels about Luigi. All right. Well, the next time we run into him, I guess we'll have to ask. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, that does it for this week's big topic. And that means it is pretty much time to wrap up this episode of the show. But before we go, we have time for one more thing. And that is a dramatic reading. This time... It is the eShop description of the Nintendo Switch game, Flan. Operate two people at the same time? Action game to think about each other. When the girl woke up, a dark and cold place spread out. As the girl advances, she meets a frozen black knight. Together, you can come to the truth. A fantastic view of the world, like a picture book and beautiful 3D graphics. And please enjoy the beautiful sound that stirs your imagination and listens to you. Enjoy from beginners to core users. Finished in game balance, action game beginners can easily and happily play. Even if you do, you can start over from that stage. It is a game that you can play without reading the letters. Since there is a collection element, there is also an exchange element after clearing. The game listens to you? Apparently. <laughs> there's, no, there's no microphone on the Switch. Listens to you anyway. That's how <laughs> fabulous this it's game just is. That good? Yeah. Wow, wow, amazing. That's about the only thing I know about this game. After reading that description, I have no idea really what kind of game it is. 
Yeah, and the, certainly the title is no help either. <laughs> no. Uh, is there actually flan in the game? Do you <laughs> get to cook some flan? Is that the character's favorite food? Is I that your know. reward for completing all the stages? I have no idea. <laughs> Me neither. I will say that I did check out the trailer and the music was pretty good. So uh, even though the production values and perhaps the localization might not be stellar, it does seem like the developers did put in some uh, effort in other areas at least. Well, that's that's good. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Hmm. Anyway, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com and you can follow us at PowerProsPod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff, and you can find CJ at SuperPack with a C. You can email us at PowerProsPod at gmail.com, and if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Chris Johnston, Keep playing it loud. And our good friend, Princess Rudo, <laughs> we will see you next time.